Hello everyone, this is Safeguarding Matters, a podcast by the Safeguarding Resource and Support Hub, RSH. My name is Oge Tukudozi. I'm the National Associate for RSH Nigerian Hub. In today's episode, we'll discuss about volunteer engagement in the development and humanitarian sectors, the risks and mitigation measures. Here with me are Julie Adebweson, Professor Olubumi Ashimolowo, and Mr. Batlomi Agu, and they will offer insights to the topic of discussion. I'm very pleased to introduce Julie Julie is a human resource and administration professional with about 15 years experience in the development sector. Olubumi Ashimolowo is a professor at the Department of Agricultural Extension and Rural Development, Federal University of Agriculture at Biokuta in Ogun State, Nigeria. She is the Executive Director, Gender Development Initiative the African Co-Chair for Rural Women Sociological Association, a TV presenter, mentor, and producer of Four Kids TV program. She is a multi-skilled individual with over 21 years post-graduation working experience in the area of extension, research, teaching, and social work. Batlomi is a GBV protection manager for Salient Humanitarian Organization, and he also doubles as safeguarding focal person for the organization. He has about five years experience in emergency response. Hello, Julie, Olubumi, and Batlomi. It is great to have you all on this Nigerian podcast. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here. Thank you, Oge. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Hello, Oge. Hello, everybody. Feels good to be here. Thank you very much, Oge. Thank you, all our great panelists and discussants. Now, let me begin with you, Batlomi. Can you tell us if and how your organization has engaged with volunteers? Thank you very much, Oge. Yes, Salient Humanitarian Organization engage volunteers. And this is because our implementations are mostly in hard to reach areas like Ngala, Damasak, Banki, Goza, Ran Gujba in Yobe and other remote areas in the Northeast, the epicenter of Boko Haram insurgency. We engage volunteers who are from the community of implementation. This is because they help us, they help us run projects because they are part of the beneficiaries and they understand the host community more than we do. So they help in monitoring safeguarding concerns and other protection issues. Thank you. Thanks, Bartholomew, for sharing 
your perspective from emergency focused organization. Olubumi, as a development focused organization, what are your organization's experiences in engaging volunteers? Thank you very much for that beautiful question. In gender development initiative, volunteering management is a process. And this process is a simple one. It starts with identifying the needs for which the volunteer is needed. We also look at the task that we want to do. So based on this task, we develop the terms of reference and don't forget, in our terms of reference, we normally put the uh, safeguarding statements. After this, we develop the terms of reference. And then after developing the terms of reference, we go ahead and advertise. We collate documentations coming in from all the applicants. We'll Go ahead, shortlist the applicants, and then we set up a date for the interview. Last but not the least is to interview proper. So it's a committee that normally does this. Thereafter, we train and retrain. We have had situations where people will come for us requesting to volunteer. So we've had professionals who are, for instance, doctors, nurses, accountants, who want to have a good volunteering experiences. So what we do in that case is to develop a tailored made program. So under our categories of volunteers, we have social action volunteers, and then we also have the young graduates and youth volunteers. We have project-based volunteers too. Under the social action volunteers, we have retirees, as I said, and core professionals who approach us. And so we have tailored made programs designed for them. So we look at their professions, then we develop uh, roles, roles and then terms of reference for them. Under the youth graduates and youth volunteers, the young graduates and youth volunteers, we have many people who approach us to enroll on our scheme, requiring experiences and wanting to build their capacity. So we've had um, youth coppers, we have um, young school leavers who have been trained and they enroll for our field work experiences. Last but not the least is the project-based volunteering in which we have residents in areas in communities where our projects are located enrolling on our volunteering scheme. So we've had categories of people like Papa and Mama Champions, Big C's, Youth uh, Volunteers, all kinds of categories of volunteers coming in to serve under the project-based volunteering. 
So what we do is to look at the opportunities the volunteers fit into for beneficiaring experiences. Thank you. Thank you very much, Prof. Quite interesting to hear about the different categories of volunteers you have. Bath, from your experience, are there risks in engaging volunteers? And what are some of these risks? Yes, there are risks in engaging volunteers. It is easy for volunteers to become very powerful and act like they are not part of the benefiting community. They become domineering with the belief that they are now working with a non-governmental organization and that they stand a better chance in communicating with the staff members to influence situations. Some of them go to the extent of diverting interventions that are meant for the general population of concern for their own selfish gain. We have had instances where there are risks of sexual exploitation, abuse and harassment perpetrated by volunteers who are supposed to be caregivers or who are meant to have a duty of care. The moment they begin to volunteer with an organization, they cease to be that regular person known in the community and assume a superior position and in that light, unequal power begins to exist. Some of them will ask for sexual relationships among the beneficiaries with the belief that their position can get them what they want. We have also had an instance where a male volunteer told a certain organization to seize a female volunteer's um, intervention because she refused to have an amorous relationship with him. So yes, there can be cases of sexual exploitation abuse and harassment while engaging volunteers. Thank you very much, Bath, for sharing your experiences about the risks that engaging volunteers actually pose. Thanks. Julie, having heard some of the risks that Bathlomi had shared, as a HR professional, please share with us processes organizations need to put in place to support proper engagement of volunteers and how this can mitigate against some of the identified risks. Thanks a lot, Oge, for the question. It is clear, you know, from what both panelists have said, Bath and Prof, that volunteers have played a key role in achieving the organizational objectives. According to a report by John Hopkins University, it may interest you to know that there are approximately 970 million volunteers worldwide. If we look at this in terms of full-time workers, it's equivalent to 125 million full-time workers. Huge, meaning that the contributions of volunteers in the NGO sector is huge, it's massive. Some organizations do not even have full-time employees and rely entirely on the support of volunteers to accomplish goals. Now that we've established the importance of volunteers in both the development and humanitarian sectors, I think what we need to focus on as NGOs is to see how we can engage volunteers in such a way as to ensure that we do no harm to our beneficiaries. 
This is where safeguarding actually comes in. When I say we do no harm, in essence, what I'm trying to say here is that as long as we ask volunteers to go out on our behalf, they are representing our organization and become a part of our workforce. When disaster strikes as NGOs, we usually immediately start thinking of what we can do to help. Rapid response, we want to save lives, we want to help. This is crucial. But is there anything else we can do to ensure that while helping communities, we do no harm to the most vulnerable, our beneficiaries? The answer is definitely yes. I would like to pick up on a point that Bart made earlier on, that volunteers are usually engaged from within the community. This means that the NGO in many cases has contacts in the community and they can use this to their advantage. Simply by asking community gatekeepers who are trusted and respected, they can gather information about volunteers that could help in screening out persons that may not be suitable to work with a particular group, such as children. A background or reference check does not always have to be in writing. It doesn't always have to be tedious. Sometimes by just making a call, you can get honest feedback about the character of a person or at least some insight about who they are. This could serve as a reference check. Also, an important area of safeguarding has to do with feedback, complaints mechanism. It's important to look back after a response and ask beneficiaries if they have any complaints about how you know, they were treated by our staff or how services were provided and document the responses. And of course, not just to document the responses, but use them to improve in the future. By doing this, NGOs can protect beneficiaries as well as the reputation of the organization in question. Also, having a pool of volunteers to contact if, when necessary, may also help in emergency situations. Thank you. Thank you very much, Julie, for reminding us about the do no harm principle, which is actually fundamental to what we do in NGO and safeguarding specifically. As we are providing aid, as we are providing support, we should make sure that we are not harming the people we are supposed to help or protect. Again, it was also interesting hearing from you that you can get reference check via phone call, calling community leaders to get reference check about that person, that community volunteer that may be interested, that is interested in volunteering, you know, and then with that, you can get an, an honest feedback about the character of such a person. You know, I think most times people think that reference check has to be in a document, a paper, survey monkey, or what have you. So thank you very much for really bringing that clarification to us. But Yomi and Olubumi, are there additional mitigation measures your organizations have in place to address identified risks in addition to what Julie has shared with us? Thank you once again. So for us in Gender Development Initiative, to ensure volunteers understand their role in keeping beneficiaries safe, we have policies. 
we have code of conduct. So all these things are being put in place so that we make sure that our project doesn't constitute any form of harm to the beneficiaries. So we stipulate expected behaviors for our volunteers. So what we do basically is to train them on ABC of safeguarding using RSH resources. Our capacities have been built on by RSH and so we use the resources to train our volunteers. Aside this, we have periodic training and retraining. It's very important so that everybody gets to understand why we should keep people we are working with safe. We also take time to check for reference and reference reports. It could be verbal, it could be written, but we make sure we do our checklist. Regular M&E monitoring and evaluation tool is critical in our programs and activities to see if we are still keeping people safe. We also have periodic and supportive supervision whereby we stand with the volunteers and see the way they are doing things and try and make um, adjustments where necessary. One beautiful thing that we have also done is to establish a reporting pathway so that if there are issues the community people know who to call and who to confide in. So we have established that. Aside this, we put roles as part of our advertisements and also we put our safeguarding statements so that if somebody knows it doesn't fit in, that person will not bother to apply. In our offices, in places where we hold our programs, we normally showcase our safeguarding statements. Risk management strategy is also key. For every project, we develop profile of risk and measures to mitigate those risks. So these are the things we have put in place to mitigate various risks. Yes, in salient humanitarian organization, we ensure that as part of onboarding and at different times in project circle, the volunteers are trained and retrained by the project leads. References are also gotten from credible people within the community. And these references are directed towards hindering the volunteers from steering the project by going below international standards of implementation. We also continue to sensitize the population of concern about sexual exploitation, abuse and harassment and other safeguarding concerns. But in case there is an incident of sexual exploitation within our community of implementation, there are measures we carry out. First of all, we respond appropriately to reports of safeguarding. We also prioritize survivor and or whistleblower well-being and safety. 
because it is important for the survivor to be safe and then the person reporting to be safe in case the survivor is different and the whistleblower is different. We also make sure that investigations are conducted by trained investigators only and that survivors are supported by skilled staff members. Survivor support is also monitored during and after investigation so that even after investigation, they are, they are equally fine. We also have a system in place to help us follow up disciplinary procedures for those involved in perpetrating such safeguard incidents, just to be sure that perpetrators are brought to book. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, all of our panelists, for the insightful discussion. On this episode, we've been able to learn why and how you recruit volunteers, the risks posed. So there are indeed risks in engaging volunteers. We also saw that volunteers play a key role Julie told us, you know, the millions of volunteers that NGOs engage, it's huge. So volunteers play a key role, but because there are risks, we need to really, you know, mitigate these risks. So thank you very much for sharing all your experiences with us. I must also um, bring in that for misconduct disclosure scheme, which is a scheme that supports to ensure that human resources is safe. So the members now apply background checks. Initially, members were not applying background checks on volunteers, but now they apply background check across all categories of recruitment, including volunteers. And you know, because just because volunteers aren't full-time or paid staff, it also means that organization safeguarding measures should not apply to them. They do, the safeguarding measures really do apply to volunteers and other representatives organization may have. And it's actually an important factor to consider because of the particular risk they pose. Thank you very much. So hello listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. At RSH, I would like to inform our listeners that any CSO in Nigeria can submit a query asking for support with developing or implementing a safeguarding policy or a volunteering policy. We've seen the importance of having volunteer management policy. So we can support you in developing that as it relates to volunteers and other needs you may have as it relates to safeguarding. You can send requests for the Ask an Expert service, which we call this service to provide support to you by sending an email to Ask an Expert Nigeria as one word at rshub, rshub.org.uk. 
I'll take that again. Ask an expert Nigeria at rshub.org.uk. In our online hub, we have loads of resources that will help organizations in their safeguarding journey. And one of such resources is a resource on integrating safeguarding in HR processes, which you, know, you will see the processes for HR and how you can integrate safeguarding, including you know, volunteer management, because volunteers are part of an essential part of the human resource of an organization. Any CSO in Nigeria can have additional information on our website by subscribing to our newsletter. You can go to our website and you see where to subscribe to the newsletter. And then you watch the space for our future engagement on this issue on our website. Thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Safeguarding Matters Volunteer Management. If you want to learn more about this program, why not visit our online hub at nigeria.safeguardingsupporthub.org. I'll tell you that again. nigeria.safeguardingsupporthub.org. If you have any comments on this episode or want to share your thoughts for the focus of future episodes, sign in on our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Or you can contact us on info at safeguardingsupporthub.org. Info at safeguardingsupporthub.org or you can send me an email at oge at rshub.org.uk oge at rshub.org.uk Thanks for joining and see you on our next podcast. Bye.